Welcome to Rights Up Right Now, a mini episode of the Rights Up podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. I'm Kira Allman, and today we're talking to Dr. Megan Campbell, the Deputy Director of the Oxford Human Rights Hub, about a recent UK parliamentary committee vote against making sex and relationship education compulsory in schools. Hi, Megan. Thanks for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me, Kira. Okay, Megan, tell us about what just happened in the UK Parliament regarding sex education. So there has been uh, an amendment put forward to a piece of legislation by an a all-female uh, group of MPs to amend the legislation to make it mandatory for all schools, not just state schools, to have sex education that doesn't just focus on biology but focuses on healthy relationships, prevention of gender-based violence, and the safety of children and to give a very well-rounded, comprehensive understanding of sex and relationships in education. So what you're talking about is a proposed amendment to the Children and Social Work Bill, right? And this was voted down in committee? That's correct. So it was in a committee, a small group of MPs who meet, all party, and it was uh, defeated uh, just recently, which is disappointing for the people who are advocating for more compulsory, more comprehensive sex education in schools. What is the current status of sex education in UK schools? It's a bit of... um, I would say mishmash, but that's probably the wrong word. It's a bit helter-skelter in that the current legislation leaves a lot of discretion to the school itself. There are guidelines in place for state schools, but they tend not to be enforced very well, so there's still scope for teachers or schools to have their own viewpoint. Um, There's usually exceptions that parents can excuse their children from sex education, which can be quite... it's motivated by this, you know, respect for different people's faiths and religions, But the problem is that you can then exempt people from learning about actually very core bits, such as gender-based violence, or how to stay safe on the internet, or how to protect yourself from unwanted pregnancies or sexually transmitted diseases. And in other schools, you can get really good comprehensive sex education. So one of the biggest problems in the UK is this marked inconsistency across the country and between different jurisdictions, uh, Wales, England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, all have slightly different frameworks So it can be quite difficult to know what you're going to receive. So part of the legislation was to make it more consistent, to make it compulsory, to have really standardized guidelines that ensured everybody in the whole country was getting good quality human rights-based sex education. Okay, so why was this vote important? What does it mean? I guess, moreover, what does it have to do with human rights? Well, sex education is quite... It's interesting in a way because everyone has their own memories or experience of learning about sex in school and they can bring back those uncomfortable sort of jokes of how dated it might seem or those bad movies that you see from the 70s and people want to maybe avoid it because it can be difficult to talk about sex and relationships with with young people. But it's actually really important, not just as an issue for their well-being, but as a matter of human rights. And the human rights framework gives a new new way of thinking about this sort of perpetual or perennial problem of how to teach young people about sex and relationships. And the human rights framework gives a, a very strong claim to say this isn't an, this isn't optional. This isn't something that the government decides it gets to do or not get to do. But because of our commitment as a community to certain values such as equality or 
freedom from gender-based violence, or rights to health and life, or, and mental health, that we've committed to these ideals, and as such, we have entitlements and rights to have sex education school to fulfill these background rights we've agreed to. What you're describing is a human rights-based approach to sex education. Right, it's part of the state's positive obligation to fulfill people's human rights is to make sure that they, when they go to school and when they leave school, they leave with comprehensive human rights-based sex education that gives them the tools they need to be able to protect their rights in their own lives going forward and to have healthy, productive relationships. What would a human rights-based approach to sex education look like? So it focuses not just on the biology, which I think is the, the biggest step. It's a step forward from just learning about technical reproduction. But it looks at, it's transformative in that it aims to transform gender-based relationships between men and women, to train both girls and boys to be able to identify what gender-based violence is, to know the laws of sexual consent, to stay safe on the internet, and how to approach sex from a much more holistic and comprehensive way and looks to give a plurality and diversity of what healthy sexual relationships look like. So it give you the tools to be able to stay safe when you have sex and to understand what healthy relationships look like. So it encompasses the social dimensions of sex and sexuality. Right, and it's, it's very transformative in that it seeks to empower groups that have been historically disadvantaged, like women, like sexual minorities, that we give people education so that, that we can understand that from a very young age that it's very important to approach relationships in a very sensitive manner. Is anyone really making this particular argument for compulsory sex education right now? Is a human rights-based approach something that people are actually talking about? It's very prominent within the UN framework, the UN Special Rapporteur on Education, uh, UNESCO, and the UN Population Fund have all been strong advocates for a human rights-based approach. But actually in the discourse in many countries, human rights seems to be missing. It gets argued as it's good for kids to learn about this, which is true. But if you put it in the claim of human rights, it no longer becomes optional for government to decide not to fund this. You can say, I have a right to this. You can claim your entitlements. And claim your rights, and then the government ha can't decide, oh, we're going to cut funding to that, or that's actually, we don't need to do that. It gives you a stronger ground for arguing your case. Do you think a human rights-based approach would have made a difference in this case in the UK? Um, that's difficult to know, because right now human rights are, are so sensitive and vulnerable with Brexit, with its potential repeal of the Human Rights Act. Rights-based claims are not a language we see very much happening in UK discussion, but I think it's unwarranted as it can be such a strong tool to say, I have a right to sex education, to fulfill my rights to gender equality, to fulfill my rights to be equal, to fulfill my rights to live free from violence. They're very powerful tools that bring across more clearly the importance of having sex education than merely saying it's important. What's next? So where is this issue going to go? Um, it's difficult to say. There is still some potential for an amendment to maybe be pushed through. The reasons why it was defeated are often due to conservative religious and cultural groups and this need to make sure that we are sensitive to different religions and cultures about how to approach sex education. And a human rights-based approach does do that. It does, it does leave room for religion and, and um, culture, but it's not a zero-sum game under human rights, that not one defeats the other. There's room for both, but what is important under human rights approach is that the underlying commitments to equality, freedom from violence, safety and health of, of individuals is at the core and leaves space for 
conservative religious and cultural viewpoints, but not at the expense of human rights. So then going forward, it's difficult to know if the, the amendment will maybe try to carve out exceptions, if exceptions are even appropriate, because they might undermine a right to equality if uh, students in a faith-based school don't receive sex, sex education, but students in a non-faith-based school do. So it's quite, it's very challenging, which is why it's such a, why it's always a sensitive issue. And going forward is what, it's difficult to predict. So if you're listening to this and you think this issue is important, what can you do? I think one of the things maybe for going forward is to put pressure on members of parliament to take this issue seriously and to take it as a rights issue so people can tweet about it, put it up on their Facebook to show that there's this groundswell movement that people want this. A lot of the statistics uh, show that people are, most people are in favor of having this in classrooms. So it's to make sure that parliament realizes that there is strong support for this rather than strong opposition. And the second would be to devote, um, not just to tweet and be active on social media, but to devote time or resources to supporting civil society groups in the UK and other jurisdictions. So a good example would be like Planned Parenthood in the US to give them the tools they need and the support they need to be able to be on the front line to make sure sex education becomes a compulsory part of school. Okay, well, thanks for joining us, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Rights Up Right Now is a podcast of the Oxford Human Rights Hub. Subscribe or follow us on iTunes U, the Oxford Podcasting Service, or SoundCloud. 